My name is Pedro Mujabafid, and we at TMC aim to discuss and inform students regarding topics which aren't covered well in medical school. This interview series is aimed at answering the questions that medical students, interns and doctors-to-be have regarding the various career pathways for medical graduates. Now the views and opinions expressed here are purely personal and are not reflective or representative of the stance of any employer, college, medical service, endorsement or other person. Alright, let's start the show. Hi everyone, today we are here with Eleanor Thong, who is an endocrinology fellow at Monash Health. Thank you for joining us, Eleanor. No worries. So could you please start by telling us a little bit about your journey from medical student until now? Yep, so um, so I went to medical school at Monash University and believe it or not, nine years ago I was a third year medical student, so it's really um, interesting to see how nine years has really changed my life and I have to say that, you know, when I was an intern or even as a resident, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, And I suppose, you know, doing medicine is all about discovering what you like and what you don't like. And it was when I was doing a diabetes clinic that I realised that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, So then I got into the physician's training program and set my exams three years ago. Thankfully, I passed. And, you know, here I am in a training program and completing my um, endocrinology training. So it's been interesting to see what has come out of all this. Yeah. So what hospitals have you trained at? So I did, um, I've been very loyal to Monash, so I've been at Monash the whole time, but I did go to the Alfred um, for a year in my first year of training um, and then came back to Monash in my second year of of training. So I really have only been to two hospitals. (laughs) Yay for Monash. Um, so when did you decide endocrinology was for you? Well, um, at the time I was, I thought I wanted to do neurology and um, I had actually done a couple of projects. But when I did the neurology job, I didn't like it. Um, you know, my the reality was quite different to my expectations. And shortly after I had a rotation in endocrinology as a resident and it was where I realised that everyone was just happy. And um, I had a lot of autonomy in the things that I did. I could do consults, I could see patients on my own in clinic and I had a real sense of gratification when patients came back and their sugars were better and they lost weight and so that was when I decided that that this was something that I could probably do for the rest of my life. Yeah it's always good when you see direct results from things that you've done. Um, What sort of medical student were you Eleanor? Did you go to wards? Were you studious? Well, I think in my first and second year of med school, I was not great. Um, I wagged a couple of times. Um, when I got to third year and, you know, everything changed, we're no longer in a university setting and we're not in a classroom environment. I actually quite liked it. And um, I did come to school. I, I came to hospital, I went to the wards and did all the ward rounds. Um, and I still live by what Michelle Leach told me. And she said, every day, see one patient, which I did. And it served me really well. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, So how important do you think education outside of MBBS is, whether it's like research or other life experiences? So I think, you know, getting an MBBS degree is great, um, but I think that sometimes people let it constrain them in terms of where they could go. Um, Certainly a lot of 
people, a lot of my peers now um, are doing a master's in public health or they've got a diploma in um, tropical medicine or something like that, which is also great. And I think that um, getting an MBBS degree doesn't just mean that you need to be a doctor. You can do other things. Um, You can do... There's a guy that I know who's a year above me who's now working in the WHO. Um, He's doing things involving health policies, which is really amazing, and that's really what he wants to do. So I think that at the end of the day, finding your passion, um, be it in a clinical or non-clinical setting, is really important. Um, and don't let that MBBS confine you to being to working in a clinic or a hospital. Okay. Great. So we'll talk a little bit more about uh, endocrinology specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, how competitive would you say your field is? Well, over the years, it's been getting more and more competitive. Um, so just to... Um, give you an idea every year there are about um, an average of 10 to 11 training spots in all of Victoria and Tasmania um, there are about 50 to 60 people who have passed their exams who are really keen to do endo so you can imagine that it's really hard to try and shell out the top of the of the best you know and often um, people do a lot of site projects for example um, you know they do audits they do case reports with um, you know with their units if they can get an endocrinology project that would be great but most people now have research to amp up their CV when I got in I was very lucky I had nothing in endocrinology but I did have um, two neurology publications um, which I did when I was the second year resident so I think I was extremely lucky it's not to say it's not impossible, but most people take about a year or two to get in. Yeah, so what would you think the average time frame is for getting into a registrar training program? Yeah, so um, with your basic physician training, it's about three years. When you pass your exams, um, you get to apply for a specialty of your choice. And for endo, um, you either get in straight away or you wait a year and get in the following year, which is what we often see. Um, as I've said, there are only about 10 to 11 spots a year. So it's getting quite competitive. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what your typical day involves. Well, um, my typical day at the moment, because I am an endocrinology fellow, I'm only working part-time. So what I do is, um, you know, I start at nine and I have a clinic from then till about 12.30. Um, then usually I have my lunch and then I'll do some research. Sometimes I've got um, medical student teaching, which I particularly enjoy. Um, but most of the time, you know, it's been a bit of a shift for me compared to last year when I was a registrar where I worked from eight to maybe about six and it would be ward rounds um, pretty much till midday lunch and um, consultant ward rounds and consults. Yeah. Um, So would you say that your role has changed a lot going from a registrar to a fellow? Yeah, definitely. So um, I do miss being on the ward. Um, I love being on the wards just because it's more interesting than in an outpatient setting. Um, I only do outpatient clinics at the moment so my ward interaction is pretty minimal Um, also it's sort of getting used to doing research and sitting in front of a computer and looking at statistics which I haven't really been accustomed to so it's been a bit of a frame shift yeah I can imagine Um, so what would you say the most rewarding part of your job is well I think with endocrinology being so diverse um, 
And, you know, it's so multifaceted that I feel that, you know, in particular, for example, diabetes and obesity is one of the key areas in which I do um, practice in. And with diabetes, we do see instant gratification with sugars um, and weight loss. These things are measurable. And so it gives me huge um, satisfaction when the patient comes back and their diabetes is much better controlled and they feel better and this is all translated to an improvement in the HbA1c or weight loss. And that's something that's measurable. And I like that endocrinology is concrete and we deal with numbers, even with, you know, thyroid issues, hyperthyroidism. Um, it's all a numbers problem. And that was one thing that really drew me to endocrinology, that it's so black and white. Mm, yeah. Um, so on the other hand, what aspect of the job would you say you struggle the most with? So the... Part of my job that I struggle with the most is the complex patients. Um, often they're the ones who've had um, complex neuroendocrine tumours or if they've had um, Cushing's disease, which is very, very difficult to cure. And, um, you know, they're often many years on and they're still plagued by their disease. So those patients are really complex and often I find that I can't offer them much. Um, for me, um, from from a job perspective, um, last year as a registrar, what I used to struggle with the most was um, constant presentations as well as being on call, um, which led to a lot of sleep deprivation, um, which I didn't deal very well with at the start, but now I'm sort of getting used to it. I mean, I don't really have to do that many on calls now, but um, I think I've gotten used to it. <laughs> That's good. If there's any doctors you'd like us to interview, or if there's any questions you'd like asked, please shoot us a message. We listen and respond to every single message that comes through. And so where do you see your field in about five to ten years? So I think there'll always be a demand for endocrinology because people are getting older, fatter, um, which means that there'll be a lot more diabetes. I think we're doing pretty well in terms of expanding the arena of diabetes medications that we have at the moment. Um, and, you know, in terms of weight loss, there are also, you know, we hope to be able to make some advances in medical therapy. Um, so I think, you know, there will always be a demand. And um, in terms of bone, I'm particularly excited because this is going to be my area as well. And, um, you know, we hope to have new drugs that are better. Um, and type 1 diabetes as well. It's, you know, one of those things that we want to prevent and find a cure for. Mm, yeah, that's really exciting. Um, could you please tell us a little bit about private versus public in endocrinology? Yeah, so um, a lot of the endocrinologists that I know um, do a little bit of private and do a bit of public. So with, with a private clinic, um, it's, it pays well and most people do it full-time or part-time. And the reason why most endocrinologists hold on to a public appointment is because um, it's just more diverse being in a tertiary hospital and having that um, camaraderie where you can discuss with your colleagues, you know, about the interesting or complex cases that you've seen. Mm. And also, um, for, you know, for me, I'd like to do a mix of private and public and also because I, I see myself as quite academic and I do want to be involved with teaching. Yeah. Um, yeah, so with public, 
um, appointments. The thing about the interesting thing is that you get to do ward service um, and you do interact with hospital patients compared to if you were solely in a private practice you would almost never see any hospital patients um, except if you had admitting rights in private hospitals. Yeah. So do you find that with most public positions in endocrinology that most physicians end up subspecialising? Yeah. So because it's so diverse, um, there are some general endocrinologists out there. So the private endocrinologists are the ones who tend not to subspecialise because they've got to be a jack-of-all-trades. But in the public setting, um, that's where most people do subspecialise. Um, we do have you know, people specialising in purely bone, some just doing andrology and some who just only do diabetes. Yeah. And so with everything that's happening, how do you yourself keep up with uh, new treatments or procedures or information that's coming out? Yeah, no, that's a great question because it's forever changing. And um, so the way in which I sort of um, keep myself up to date is that I've got a journal subscription to, um, you know, an endocrine journal and um, I sort of read summaries weekly and we also have journal clubs um, where, you know, people present articles. So that's how we keep up to date. Yeah, great. Cool. Um, so how would you say your work-life balance is? Well, at the moment, I think my work-life balance is great. I don't think it could be any better. Um, you know, at the moment, I only, as I said, I only work part-time and, um, you know, I've got my medical student teaching. I've got lots of time to do other things, other interests of my own. Um, so that's something that I, I haven't had for a while, especially, you know, training as a full-time registrar. Um, but even... Last year as a registrar on call um, for a whole week, every three weeks, um, I didn't think it was so bad, basically because endo is not an interventional specialty. There was never a time where I had to jump out of bed and drive to work Mm. because there was an emergency. So I think we have it pretty good compared to the other specialties like cardiology or gastro. Yeah, okay. So as a registrar, how many weekends would you be expected to work? So we had three registrars, so that would be one in three weekends. And um, basically, um, we did our on-calls week by week, so we would do the whole week. Yeah. Yeah. And how predictable were your work hours? Um, pretty predictable. So, you know, it's it's not a nine-to-five job per se, but, you know, you, you do start at eight and you, you definitely go home by around six at least. Um, you know, obviously, sometimes they're complex cases and we can't help that, but it's not often. Yeah. Um, do you have any interests outside of medicine and how do you find time to fit them in? Well, I do have a couple of interests. I love fashion. So um, I I keep up with um, sort of, um, you know, f- my fashion knowledge by reading lots of magazines and um, I keep up with all the different fashion weeks in the world. Um, and... I also love cooking and, and running. So ever since I've taken on this fellowship job, I have had a lot more time and I've been able to um, increase my exercise and, and also do a lot more things that I love. Um, I've also been dabbling into sort of learning photography and, you know, social media is something that really excites me and scares me at the same time. So I'm trying to read up more on that and, you know, I'm starting a PhD next year as well. So um, it's given me a lot of time to design my own project for next year. Yeah, cool. Um, So have you ever taken any time off? No, and I, so I haven't taken any time off. And for me, it felt like, you know, since, so when I was an intern, it was 2010 and 
I think from internship till now, I actually haven't taken a break. And it's been a very long seven years, although it did pass very quickly. But I think there was some fatigue at some point where um, I wished, I really wished and um, that I had taken a break. Yeah. So would you recommend taking some time off? I think that most people do take time off um, round about after the first or second year um, of work. And I think, you know, you've had a really busy five years in medical school and internship really can be quite grilling. So it's not a bad idea to take a break and refresh and recharge um, before you commit to something like a physician's training program or getting into the set training, which will mean exams and more commitment. Make sure to keep in touch with us through social media. Our handle is at the med collab, that's T-H-E-M-E-D-C-O-L-L-A-B, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our podcast for our weekly release. Now back to the show. Um, so did you have any mentors along the way? And how would you recommend finding a mentor? Um, so I, I think... The mentor that I, she was never formally a mentor of mine, but Michelle Leach is someone that I definitely draw inspiration from and who's, you know, been there um, throughout my physician's training and giving me a lot of support. Um, Sally Ayub as well, who was my formal clinical bedside tutor, whom I still keep in touch with, um, has been someone that I chat with and talk about, you know, my daily struggles um, on and off. So I think that's really helped. And um, looking for a mentor is important and I think that in medical, being in a medical subspecialty, um, it's difficult to talk about these things but as a woman in, in medicine where you might find that um, you, know, you might not get a lot of support, especially for women who are planning to have families in the middle of their careers, I think it's really, really important. Um, there are some amazing people that I look up to. Um, Helena Teed is the head of diabetes at Monash and she heads up Monash Partners and she runs a research unit. And um, she's got two daughters and she's really um, an advocate for women who are in endocrinology. Yeah. yeah. So that actually segues quite well into my next question. Um, what's your family situation like at the moment and do you plan on having children? Well, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm not married at the moment, so I do have a long-term partner and I do have a cat, um, but no kids, which is f- lucky because I don't know that I would have been able to actually commit to such a busy job and being on call with a, with a child. Not impossible, but, you know, difficult, I think. It's been done. And um, yes, so I'm definitely planning to have a family in the future. And I think that um, this would tie in very nicely with doing a PhD as well. I'd be a lot more relaxed, not working. And, you know, so I think that would give me a lot more time to spend with, you know, my future child. Um, yeah. Yeah. So are there any regrets um, or anything you wish you had done or didn't do while you were in your medical school or while you're a junior doctor? Yeah, well, in terms of regrets, apart from taking a break, um, I would probably say no. I think I've been very blessed and and extremely lucky to be um, very well looked after at Monash, you know, being given sort of great rotations, getting into the training program of my choice and 
you know, the one thing that I would like to do is take a year off, go and see the world. You know, I love traveling and like, it's something that I wish I had more time to do. And it's one of those things where if you don't do it now, you're never going to do it when you're older. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So apart from switching from neurology to endo, were there any other major pivot points or major decisions that you made um, that led you to where you are today? Well, I think when I first started out as an intern, I was really unsure what I wanted to do. And, you know, it was there were so many options out there. And um, I think one of my medical consultants actually said that, you know, I think you really have an aptitude to be a physician and you should pursue that. And I really didn't think twice and I just went into it. And in terms of choosing a specialty, um, Sally Ayub gave me great advice. And when I asked her, you know, how she picked a rheumatology and she told me, I just wrote on a piece of paper what I liked and what I didn't like. And there were only two things that I liked. So I went for those. So I did the same and there were two things that I liked, endocrinology and rheumatology. But in the end, they can only be one winner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So what kind of people do you think should do endocrinology? Well, first of all, you know, you have to love clinics because we do a lot of our care is administered in the outpatient setting. We hardly have any inpatients. We run on a consult basis. Um, Someone who would be great for endocrinology is someone who um, needs change, doesn't really like routine because endo is so diverse that you will not get bored. And, you know, you're constantly thinking on your feet. And, um, you know, I think that if you enjoy public health, that would be great because a lot of the problems that we deal with, like obesity and diabetes, are fast becoming epidemics in Australia. Um, But most importantly, you know, someone who is really patient, who loves interaction, um, there's really no cookie cutter of version of, you know, what would be the most amazing endocrinology candidate. But... As long as you're serious about it, you've got an interest, you know, make it known, see if you can get some um, research with the department and see how you go. Yeah. Um, So do you think there are any sort of opportunities to work interstate or overseas in endocrinology? Yeah, so um, in in Melbourne, in in Victoria, um, we're very lucky because we've we've got so many major... um, tertiary hospitals here doing endocrinology and we get a lot of exposure but interstate in Sydney as well there are dedicated centres for example there's a centre where you know they deal with purely pituitary problems and um, in in the Northern Territory in Darwin and Alice Springs it's really where they need endocrinologists because um, diabetes and obesity are really rife in the Indigenous population so um, I've I've had a chat with um, an endocrinologist from the Baker who flies out to Alice Springs every three months um, to do a service there. And it's been challenging, but really rewarding. Yeah, that sounds really good. Okay, so I think that's almost the end of our interview. Um, Before we go, is there any advice that you would have wanted to know as an intern? Well, I think I got pretty good advice as a medical student and the advice was don't worry about anything, just enjoy your year. And, you know, as a medical student, I think that we're all really lucky. We get to see and do so much without the responsibilities that come with being a doctor. Um, Having said that, it felt really good being a doctor, finally, after five years of studying, or six. And I think, you know, you will be overwhelmed in your intern year. And 
that's because things are new, but people adapt and you'd be surprised at how resilient you can be. Um, but enjoy it, I think. You know, out of all the difficult things that I've done, I, I think I've at least had some enjoyment and satisfaction from my work. Yeah, that's great. Cool. Um, so that concludes our interview for today. Do you have any last words for our listeners? Well, um, if you're in medical school, well, enjoy it and see one patient every day. Good luck for exams. <laughs> great. Well, thanks for your time, Eleanor. No worries. It was really good to have you here. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to complete the survey for this episode. We want to make sure the episodes are as useful as possible and the surveys help us to monitor whether they're making an impact on our fellow peers. It only takes 30 seconds and it helps more than you can imagine. The link can be found on our Facebook and our blog. All right, guys. See you next week.